And now, the Last Word on Habs podcast, brought to you by the Last Word on Sports Network. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Last Word on Habs podcast. I'm Connor LaPalm, and as always, I'm joined by Johannes Wilder. Johannes, how are you doing today? I am uh, just fine, Connor. I, I w- remind me and our listeners when the last time they would have heard from us <laughs> and uh what's happened since yeah it, you would have heard from us a couple of weeks ago uh unfortunately the last two episodes we recorded ran into some technical issues that resulted in us not being able to get them out um the first one was an actual we actually previewed the stanley cup final but uh due to some issues with the site which hosts our podcast we were unable to get it up until Game three of the Stanley Cup final, and it's kind of useless to post a preview of a series when the series is, you know, half over. So we decided not to go with that. And then the second episode, um, there were audio issues on my end, and for some reason, the audio didn't record properly, and we only I only had half my audio. So again, we were forced to. Abandoned the episode. Uh, there was some good stuff in there. We touched on the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. Um, unfortunately, these episodes are now lost to time, and we have a couple of lost episodes that... Un- un- yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and the, the bad news for Habs fans is that there was not very much content to consume <laughs> uh, in the intervening periods. So uh, it, it was a shame that we couldn't, um, yeah, walk through our thoughts. But uh, how are you feeling now? I mean... Let's leave the the Italy nonsense to one side because you're just off that that high. But it's just focusing on the Canadians with with you know a week to put things in perspective and and uh, you know how are you feeling about this run? How are you feeling about this team? Uh, where are you at with the Montreal Canadiens right now? Um, look, because we've had a bit of time to decompress the loss. Obviously, it's with a bit of perspective, you can't help but be proud and happy with the run they gave us. Unexpected, exciting, um, but full value, I, I think. You know, uh, I'm sure we'll touch on it a bit later, but it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, um, it was a little disappointing how this series started. If we had one of our last episodes, <laughs> we would have talked about how, you know, Tampa Bay is a good enough team when you're playing at your best. And unfortunately, you know, they don't need your help. And, and unfortunately, it seemed like in the first... A few games of the series, Montreal was making things a little bit easy on Tampa, which, from my end, I'm sure not. I'm not the only one, but it was frustrating to watch because the Canadians had played so well leading up to that series, and you know I don't think anyone had any illusions about how good Tampa was, but you know it felt like the Habs were making it a bit easy. Certain players were not having their best um, games in series. Um, you know, I mean, no one would argue Carey Price struggled a bit to start the series. Uh, the Habs' defense looked a little um, lost in their own zone, and unfortunately, you know, I mean, this has been an issue with the team almost all year and probably closer to three years. Um, but you know, they weren't they weren't able to survive it against Tampa. They were making these mistakes, and Tampa was capitalized on them. I mean, the biggest one, and the one I think, um, you know, turned the series. And I know you have a bit of a unique perspective on it because you were at the game, but was the game two. Uh, ben Sherratt pinching, leading to the, I believe, Blake Coleman scoring with 0.3 seconds left. You know, the Habs were playing very well in that game. And, you know, who knows what goes on with the series if the Habs can survive that period and that moment. But, unfortunately, you know, that was sort of the TSN turning point or the uh, the backbreaker, uh, however you want to describe it. But it was, uh, you know, an, an unfortunate time for something like that to happen. And, you know, you're just going to have to sort of live with it, I guess. But, you know, overall, it was a lot of fun. You know, providing the fans and and yeah, I guess the media too, but you know, providing the fans this moment and this this run where, you know, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals the first time they've done it since 1993. You know, and it and the thing that felt a little different too, and I guess what gave people a little more confidence was, it wasn't necessarily like 2010 where they were surviving. You know, in games they were they were probably the better team on balance for most of the series that they won. It wasn't. You know, people like come. You know, people who haven't been cheering for their team since the end of May like to come out of the woodwork and try and discredit the Habs because they had a a difficult regular season. You know, they want to find ways to make excuses as to why it happened. But 
you know, the Canadians were the better team after I think after game four. I mean, the game the series against Toronto was probably the closest in terms of being a back and forth. But I think in all the other series against Winnipeg, they were obviously the clearly the better team against Vegas. You know, they were they were the better team. I mean, there's always a bit of back and forth in series, but I think. You know, overall, you have to, you'd be have a hard time arguing the Habs played poorly in those series, which they won. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, about the run? Uh, I feel, I think it was a special thing to be part of. I think it was, you know, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, this is the most exciting team and run that I've sort of seen. Obviously, I was around in '93, but. Uh, I didn't follow hockey in, in anywhere near the level of detail. Um, it was sort of something that happened. Um, I remember watching a few games um, of that of that Stanley Cup final. But, you know, my, my dad was from South Africa. My mom was from New York City. Hockey was, you know, something that we adopted. We didn't necessarily – I wasn't born into it. Um, I, I'm really happy for the young players on the team. I thought Nick Suzuki emerged as uh, just an incredibly dynamic and, and fun player to watch. I thought Kokinyemi, even though he didn't play in the last game, um, you know, equipped himself well and showed us a glimpse of where he's going to go in his future. I thought Cole Caulfield coming out um, from the NCAAs and... and immediately into the playoffs and making the contributions that he did right away. That's just really exciting. I'm, I'm happy for Carey Price, who played, uh, I think, really well. Um, I think Shea Weber played as well as we've seen him play in a Montreal Canadian sweater, um, battling through injuries and just sort of doing it. I w- am really happy they didn't get swept. I'm really happy they found another gear in in game four and i really think that um that is what that urgency that we saw especially in the third period um is what we would have needed to see all along for them to play against tampa and and you know tampa's a great team uh i would say the best team in the in the cap era but i feel like there's a little bit of an asterisk around uh (laughs) that statement now given um Given the fact that while they lived up to the letter of the law, I'm really not sure they were consistent with the spirit of the law around cap compliancy and the way they manage things. And uh, I think it would be really bad for the sport if that becomes something that that people do, which is basically rest your um, best players based on, you know, a, a the needed time to recover from an injury or not to allow um, you to, to pick up some extra pieces at the trade deadline to make a run. I, I really don't, I really hope that's, that sort of mocks the whole idea of the cap, really. Um, but it was, it was excellent management, and as much as we might not like John Cooper, I thought they were well coached in this final. And uh, I'm just happy Montreal wasn't swept, and I'm happy they fought back, and I agree with you. That game two was the one that they needed to win if it was going to be a series. And I just think, you know, the brain fart at the end of the second period after they had played so well, um, the ill-advised pinch from Sherratt, and and then just that sort of amazing play that Price really didn't have a chance on, uh, that's, how, that's how it went. And with that game... Unfortunately, I think the the uh, our future was written, but it was a great run, and I'm just here to say I you know I got chirped a little bit today at, and last night at at, at hockey, hmm. um, because we're back to, to playing and and uh, I'm I'm now skating four days a week, which is crazy, um, but I've some people and you've heard this on Twitter, Connor, and and maybe even some of your leaf buddies <laughs> suggesting that it wasn't really a good final because uh, the Habs really didn't deserve to be there. And you know, I just think that that's categorically wrong. Obviously, they deserve to be there. They beat all the teams they needed to be to make it to the final. Uh, I will concede it was a strange year, and any other year they probably wouldn't have made the Stanley Cup Finals to begin with. Uh, I also 
and and I'm curious about your take on this sort of looking forward. I don't think this is the team that you continue to add to because you think you're going to be a dominant, you know, cup contending team for the next three years. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens over the summer, how they manage the expansion draft, what the plan is. Um, unless you say Carey Price and Shea Weber are Montreal Canadiens for until they decide to retire, this is the time that you would try to move those contracts. Um, after uh, I thought some of the some of the best plays that we've seen, I don't think that's likely. Obviously, Bergevin has another year. This is the team that he's built. Um, he said, "You make it to the playoffs, and anything can happen." And and anything did. Uh, so I don't know. I guess I have mixed feelings. I, I I'm happy for the team. I'm happy for the young players. I I don't think we had what we needed in the final. We needed another gear. And I just don't think um, anyone had what we needed to have to compete with that Tampa team. And whether it was exhaustion, whether it was the injuries catching up, whether it was just being um, a little bit stage fright uh, in terms of that that big a moment. Uh, whatever it was, uh, we didn't have it, but we can still hold our heads high. That is the the best Canadian team, I think. I mean, obviously Vancouver with their run um, and get, getting beat by Boston. But I, I think this team showed a lot of heart, uh, played incredibly well. Uh, and, and look, if nothing else, Connor, we can at least say we beat the Leafs. <laughs> yes, we definitely can say we beat the Leafs. Um, look, going into the playoffs, the way the Canadians have been playing, I think, you know, if we had told the if you had been asked or told, you know, you guys can – Beat the Leafs coming down 3-1 in the first round. I think most people would have taken it. So, you know, it's good. And I, I kind of have to laugh at all the people that need to make excuses for the fact that the Canadians beat their team. Um, specifically our... Well, from my from my location, my our, our, our friends up the 401 in, in Toronto. Um, it's been sort of a... It's been pretty funny if you follow social media where, you know, Leafs fans have been quiet, quiet, quiet because the Canadians kept winning. And then finally they run into Tampa and they're all coming out of the woodwork, uh, you know. And then they're saying stuff like, oh, you're in the Stanley Cup final and all you can do is think about Leafs fans. We're in your head, uh, rent-free, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, they've been quietly seething for the last, you know, month about, you know, the Habs winning and beating them and being in the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, I think, you know, they're not, the Habs were not definitely not lucky. I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. I think... You know, the Leafs definitely played better the, the beginning of that series. And then whatever, for whatever reason, the Canadians hit their gear, you know, and they never looked back. And I think the Canadians got better, you know, game five. Game six, I think, was a bit of a back and forth, although, you know, Toronto was really trying to end it in that overtime. But besides that, you know, Montreal was full value for all their wins. They weren't, you know, they weren't hanging on in games and series. They weren't, you know... Again, I touched on it a bit earlier, like in 2010 or even a bit in 2014, where, you know, they had a goalie. And not to say Price was very good in these playoffs, minus maybe the beginning of the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, it wasn't Carey Price stopping 60 shots a game and the Canadians eking out a 2-1 win. Um, you know, they were obviously better than the team we saw down the stretch in, in the season. And I guess it showed. And I guess Mark Bergevay, finally, his mantra of anything can happen happened in the playoffs, which I guess is good for him. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's, look, it was a good run. The Canadians, I mean, people will discredit them because they're angry at their own team's failures. And that's the only way they can sort of justify it is the Canadians got lucky. I mean, I saw someone kind of saying how lucky the Canadians were in overtime because, you know, they won seven games in overtime, I believe, or they won seven and one. Um, you know, we put up this stat about how the Canadians have been outshot and then, you know, but there's, there's the, the record is this. And, I'm, I mean, if you take out that one game six against Toronto where they were outshot 15-2, to two, you know, the, the shots are pretty even. And the Canadians are just, you know, they were generating chances and, and burying them. And, you know, it wasn't like, again, the pucks weren't ping-ponging off eight people into the net. It was creating turnovers and capitalizing on chances. And that's what they were doing. And they had, you know, excellent depth up and down the lineup up until the Stanley Cup final. I mean, from scoring, you know. 
I mean, the Suzuki Caulfield to Foley line was really driving the whole show. It was definitely a coming out party for Nick Suzuki. Um, you know, he, he kind of had a mini one in the bubble playoffs, but this was definitely, you know, another one. He even showed himself, he acquitted himself really well in the Stanley Cup final. He was the only consistent forward that was scoring. Um, you know, it was great to see Cole Caulfield, you know, with all the hype and expectation around him, coming from NCAA, as you mentioned, and definitely having an impact. You know, you kind of look back and wonder what the hell they were thinking, keeping him on the bench for the first few games against Toronto, but... Um, doesn't matter. I mean, even Kakin Yemi, you know, he definitely had ups and downs, but it was really, really good. Good. Sorry, I kind of got stuck saying two words there. He was really good to see how he likes to go to the net, get in the dirty areas. He provides the Canadians with something they def- don't necessarily have a ton of, and that's sort of like will- a willingness to go to those dirty areas. Most of his goals were from in close, were sort of making life difficult on the goalie. And you need those to, you know, you need those in in the playoffs. And he's sort of showing him. Him and Suzuki have sort of shown that they can step it up in the postseason, which is a good thing, you know, because you always hear about the guys that get you to the playoffs and the guys that get you through the playoffs. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I don't know how much we're gonna see the Canadians necessarily reset or change the lineup. I know the temptation is to sort of cash in, maybe with you know, or strike while the iron is hot, as they say. Um, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, obviously we're entering into the off season here. There's, you know, a lot of stuff already happening. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. You know, there's free agency, there's the draft, the expansion draft. So there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, so I don't know. We're just going to have to obviously wait and see, but it was just definitely the whole experience of the playoffs. I think for me, and I'm, I'm again, I'm assuming all Habs fans, although there are a few, you know, analytical, advanced stats focused people who are don't understand why things like this can happen if it doesn't match up with their crazy projection numbers and stuff. You know, there were people crying for certain players to get in more than they were because of their fancy stats, um, or people still crying about certain players being claimed by the Ottawa Senators. But you know, you you just had to sit back and ride the wave, and we rode the wave, and it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, and I guess now that the the fun's over, we got to look forward to a, an off season now where things are moving and happening. Um, there's already some crazy changes to the Montreal Canadiens. Um, you know, we'll start. Unfortunately, you know, Joel Bouchard uh, is no longer with the team, which is upsetting to me. Um, and I believe also his assistants. Uh, so Laval is in a bit of a weird spot. Um, and the news that just broke today, actually, is that Dominic Ducharme has been signed for three years. The interim tag has been taken off. Um, you know, there's no rest for the wicked when the offseason in the NHL starts. So it's already we already have some big news to talk about. Um, so Dominic Ducharme is now the 31st uh, head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And, yeah, I mean, look, he definitely, I think, earned it. Um, it's hard to sort of deny what happened during the playoffs. Um so yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about uh, Ducharme's uh, Ducharme being hired as the coach for the Canadian? I mean, I think he's earned it. I think he came in with a a new structure, and we saw the Canadians struggle to adapt to it. And then we saw them play when he first sort of came out. The Canadians really had put it together and were looking really, really good. And then they sort of flagged a little bit, and the injury bug came around. But I thought. Um, I, th- I thought he outcoached the other coaches in the playoffs, with the exception of John Cooper in the final. Um, and obviously, you know, he wasn't on the bench for the first two games. So, you know, it's a, lots of different challenges there. But uh, I think he earned it. Um, I, I'm not happy about the sort of news that broke a couple days before that decision, which is that Joel Bouchard has decided to move out of the Montreal Canadiens organization and and not even to an NHL job, which I I guess I would have understood if he was going to be tapped for uh, a head coach position in the NHL, but uh, basically joining the, the Ducks organization as, a, as the AHL coach um, in San Diego. And so that... I I guess I was of the view that he was, if not the next coach, perhaps the next GM, 
and that he was being groomed for a bright future in Montreal. And I guess I was a little surprised to find that out. I also found out that another um, sort of high-end individual within the Canadians organization that look at player development has decided not to renew with the Canadians and is heading back to Europe. Um, so it, it feels as though there are there are shifting sands under this organization, which is, a, 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 I guess, a little interesting. I, I don't know what this is kind of out of left field, Connor, but I don't know if you watched the end of year presser with Mark Bergevin. And uh, I watched a little of it and I read the coverage after. And the suggestion seemed to be that he wasn't he wanted to be asked to stay as GM is how I read his sort of reaction and that um, he has a year left on his contract and he made the statement that he will honor it. Um, so I don't know what you made of that. Uh, is Mark Bergevin still the GM of the Canadians after his contract expires? I mean, I think you have to think for the moment, yes. I think, you know, despite our complaints and his shortcomings over the past couple of years, um, you know, a run to the Stanley Cup final where a lot of your moves, you know, finally paid off can't be ignored. Um, unless he doesn't want it, which is, you know, I've heard rumors that, I mean, heard rumors, I saw speculation that he may, there may be a move of him being bumped up to VP of Hockey Ops and then bringing in another general manager. Um, we'll see. Also, again, this is purely speculation on my end, but, you know, this whole Chicago Blackhawks uh, sexual abuse scandal. I think is going to have a far... The shadow of this is going to cast far over the NHL um, just because of there are people from that front office that are in front offices of other teams, Mark Berger being one of them, and I know he was asked about it, and he, and he denied knowing anything, and I'm not suggesting he knew anything, but that is a heady story. That is a big thing. I think it's going to, I think it's going to have a bigger impact on the league as a whole than anyone really is thinking about it in the moment I think you know considering you know no one's talking about it um apart from uh, Rick Westhead in Canada and, uh, and journalists in Chicago you know it's kind of being a really it's really sad state that it's being an underreported real situation and you know the behavior of people involved has been you know terrible and anyway another topic so I'm going back to Mark Berger this um, so for Mark Bergevin, it, it is an interesting sort of thing to say. I think he kind of is feeling a bit, you know, despite the sting of losing the Stanley Cup final, I think, you know, like I mentioned, finally a bunch of his moves kind of paid off. You know, he did his uh, his bargain hunting in the offseason. Well, he brought in, you know, you mentioned Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli to kind of lead the team in scoring and give the team more scoring punch. He also did a little bit of his bargain work, and it actually paid off for, you know, he... He brought in a Corey Perry on the cheap, and it definitely paid off. I mean, Corey Perry looked amazing. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying he can play, you know, a first line role, but he definitely looked very at home, you know, on the Canadians and on that fourth line. And I mean, if you were watching the playoffs, I mean, that fourth line was coming up with some very important, uh, you know, goals and, and moments for the Canadians. They weren't just there to eat up minutes. Uh, they were contributing. I mean, even Eric Stahl, despite the fact he came in and he had his sort of moment, his his, his moment when he, he scored that overtime winner in his first game and then, you know, kind of disappeared for a while and people were wondering what was going on with him. In the playoffs, him, you know, Stahl, Armia, Agreed. and Perry really became a force for the first three rounds especially. And it was just, you know... It's hard to discredit him when... The fourth line was really good in the first few rounds, but they just didn't really show up in the final. I think that's fair to say. Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think they were still kind of generating opportunities, and I think there was a little bit of puck luck at play, too. I, so, you know, I feel like, in general, the Canadians had trouble... The puck seemed to be rolling away from the Canadians in the most opportune times. Um, but, you know, so goes the, the game sometimes. But, I mean... the. Look, the team is exciting. We know we've mentioned the young kids coming up. We mentioned, you know, there's even Romanov who finally, you know, finally got in some games in the Stanley Cup final and didn't look out of place. You know, he scored a huge goal for the Canadians in game four. Um, so, you know, the, it's an exciting time, I think, for the Habs. And I think you can't discredit Mark Bergevin for the work he did this year, despite, I mean, us not being fans of his, 
you know, anything can happen mantra, but I mean, they kind of proved it this year, but it's, um, I don't know. It's, it, it's tough. Cause I mean, I can't see him leaving, but I, I, you know, I think there's going to be something in the works where he maybe gets moved around, as I said, moved up maybe. Um, cause I mean, it would be weird if they let him play out on a one year deal. That would just be kind of foolish from the team perspective to let this guy sort of twist in the wind, I guess, for a year. And he's the guy in charge of, you know, drafting and signing players. And you think he'll be professional, but if he has no, you know, if he's leaving at the end of the year, you know, it's kind of hard to plan long term. Um, yeah, but we'll see. I mean, he's kind of put the Canadians in a pretty decent spot. I'm not saying... You know, the Canadians are definitely looking up compared to where they were before. I mean, even though the regular season was a bit of a nightmare. You know, there was that crazy schedule. So, I mean, you're hoping the Canadians are the Canadians we saw in the playoffs, maybe at the beginning of the year, versus the Canadians we saw down the stretch, which was a little... I just... But, Connor, do you think think that this team is a shoe-in to make the playoffs next year? It's tough. Um... I mean, look, they're going to be, the divisions are realigning right back to where they are. So they're going to be in a division with Tampa, Boston, Toronto, um, Florida, who is very good this year. I mean, Ottawa's getting better. And then on top of that, they got to compete with, you know, the Penguins, the Capitals, the the Hurricanes, the, you know, the Flyers, the Rangers, the Islanders, right? There's a lot of teams that are fighting for these Eastern Conference playoff spots. So it's going to be very hard. I mean, look, no one's going to argue that they were kind of, in an ideal situation this year to make the playoffs. It was kind of a... I mean, I'm not going to use the word gift because everyone's kind of crapping on the North Division and then, you know, the Canadians went on their really... You know, they went on their run, so... But, you know, it was definitely an easier (laughs) path to the playoffs, so it's hard to sort of, you know, separate the two things. But then the other thing is, you have to remember, they're not going to be playing this crazy condensed schedule. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen and then... You know, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe the, the, the regular type of schedule is going to actually be helpful for them. They're not going to have to play, you know, four games a night for six weeks and deal with all those injuries they had to deal with and deal with, you know, just being exhausted and and, and, and stuff like that. So we'll see. Um, but to double back to the moves that were made, I mean, personally, you know, Joel, the loss of Joel Bouchard is the one that really kind of irks me the most. Um, you know, we talked about it perhaps on one of the lost episodes, perhaps it was on the one that we got out a couple weeks ago, just about how, you know, you need to find a way to keep smart guys, smart hockey people in the building. And I think for the Canadians, it's happened a bit too much lately where they've lost some of the really good hockey people. And, um, you know, Bouchard's one of those guys. I mean, when was the last time the Habs had a decent team in Laval? Not under Mark Bergevin, that's for sure. And... You know, Bouchard has done a very good job developing wherever he's gone. He built up the Armada in the QMJHL, and he made Laval respect very good, and guys developed. And it's just frustrating because, again, it was as a lateral move. Perhaps there's a, an easier path to the NHL for him in in Anaheim. I don't know, but it just it reminds me of you know like losing Julian Breezeball, right? That that's so frustrating because now he's the GM of Tampa winning Stanley Cups, and we could have had him here. But yeah, it's just frustrating they couldn't find a way to keep him in the building. Well, especially with the, the with the well, yeah, but especially because you know the the interest and requirement of having French speaking um, general managers and head coaches, and so it's like, well, when you have good people, why can't you chart a path for them to where you say we're going to make you assistant GM um, for the next. You know, well, in this case, it would only be a year. But, you know, in Julian Brisebois' case, we're going to find a role that's going to show you that, you know, when the future comes, you're you're the guy. And I just, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not. Look, give Bergevin his due. He built a team which was able to um, succeed in the playoffs and make it all the way to the final. Uh, he did what we thought was if not impossible, incredibly difficult by stitching together this older group of players, um, some of whom had been to the Stanley Cup Finals and, and won a cup, others who hadn't, but who had, um, like Price and Weber, 
um, great pedigree and, and leadership and played fantastically and you stitch those and combine those with the next younger generation. Uh, and kudos to him. I, I however, I, I am, you know, we have been talking about for years the need for speed on defense and mobility. And that I think was exposed because once teams figured out that really you were going to have four key defenders and then other people slot in, they just started picking on the weaker ones. And I really thought Tampa was incredibly effective in hemming our defense in and just coming wave after wave after wave. And there were times we just could not get the puck out of the ice, could not complete a pass to get the puck out of the zone. And, you know, we the, let's praise Bergevin for the good things he did. And that's also, you know, take him or, or ensure some accountability by noticing the thing that, that many people sort of pointed out was uh, a definite weakness for this team. But I, I, don't, I don't know, Connor. It, it certainly sounded to me as though uh, he was maybe just sick and tired of being a GM in Montreal. And uh, it did not sound as though he was saying, I want to be here for the rest of my career and we got this far and we're going to go further. Um, I feel in many ways like this is the pinnacle of his career in Montreal and this might be as close as he gets and it might be time to move on. Uh, and that doesn't make me necessarily sad. I mean, it, it's kind of a nice way to go out. Obviously, you would have loved to bring the cup here. But um, t- did you hear this? Uh, in The Tampa Bay team took the Stanley Cup out on a boat tour and then dented it. And the, the, damaged, the damaged Stanley Cup then had to be sent to Montreal to be repaired. And then they had to send it back to Tampa for the parade. I mean, well, people yeah. like to act like the Stanley Cup is like no one's ever done anything worse. But yeah, I I definitely saw that dinger that they left uh, <laughs> they left on the on the Stanley Cup there in Tampa. But yeah. oh yeah, it's been left in taxi cabs and you know whatever. But I just I just thought the irony of it having to come to Montreal to be fixed just uh, just struck me as uh, I don't know. I think uh, well, and the Kucherov T-shirt didn't help no. either. Yeah, I don't. Did yes. you see him? Can't not have seen uh, Kucherov and his antics. Um, I mean, whatever. I mean, look, Nikita Kucherov's going to be the kind of guy he is. He seems like he's a real piece of work. Um, you know, I, I I thought it was interesting. Not interesting. I mean, his little tirade at the end of the Stanley Cup final, where he decided to take swipes at. You know, fans and, and and other goalies and stuff like that. I thought you know it was a bit much. And look, I know everyone's sort of going off on how epic it was because he was sitting there shirtless and drunk after having two Bud Lights, and uh, you know, and it wasn't epic. It was a bit ridiculous, and it was a bit. I felt performative even, and I don't know. Just there's this trend I feel like in Stanley Cups or championship parades where there's always got to be this one guy who's like just out of control and like, oh, he's just going crazy. And uh, to a certain extent, I get it. You know, these guys play hard, train hard. You know, they're blowing off steam, but it's like there's always got to be this one at I remember Corey Crawford was the, the crazy guy when the Chicago won, I think, in 2015. And, you know, I think if there's in football I've seen a few times, there's always this guy that's got to be crazy hyped. And, like, it's just, again, feeling very performative for me. But I mean, with Kucherov, I mean, look, he's going to say what he says. Um... He's going to be the kind of person he is, and he's a bit of a tool, it seems like. The more I hear from him, the more I see him, the more, you know, the more <laughs> the more I don't want to hear and see from him, despite the fact he's an extremely talented guy. He's just, the overall package of Nikita Kutra for me is, you know, not really something I care to be a part of or can want to be a part of, and I just think his unnecessary shots at, like, Marc-Andre Fleury for in the Vesna, who I think deserved it, um, you know, shots at Montreal Canadian fans for being excited for winning a, an overtime game in the Stanley Cup final. You know, God forbid. Um, you know, it just—I don't know—it's a bit much. And his whole thing for me is—it's just run a little thin. And I just—I don't like the player. You know, despite the talent. Yeah, I think I'm out. I think I'm just out on Kucherov all the way, all the way out on Kucherov. 
He's very talented. That's fine. He's talented. He's a whiner, and he's also a diver. And I just, it's, it's, it's. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I look. You're, you're a fan of Italy, so you got no problem with hey, divers. No, but I just think that. Uh, I, I just, it's just not, it's not the look that I want. And I, I don't think you could imagine any Montreal Canadian um, acting that way or, or damaging the Stanley Cup. Well, the damaging the Stanley Cup thing, I'm not going to say because it's happened. We talked about it. It happens all the time. You know, people get drunk, drop things. They're stupid. It looks, it's an awful look, obviously. And, you know, people already have a... Seems team like it seems like a lot of teams and players already have an issue with the Tampa Bay experience as it is. Apparently, they're not. You know, people do not like them in terms of their just general attitude and stuff. So, um, it was just, yeah. I mean, look, he can say what he wants. They won. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'd be a guy in the Habs who'd be kind of going cutting loose like that. Um, but, you know, it just for me, it's more about the comments and stuff that he said after the game or, you know, like I said, he kind of went out of his way to become a villain or something and sort of pick, again, pick at the Habs fans for celebrating an overtime win in the Stanley Cup final in an elimination game. Yeah. You won't get an argument from me. You know, and so I just, he's a bit much and it's just kind of rich, I find, that the face of Tampa's cap circumvention is sort of sitting here complaining and talking about how tough he has it. Um... You know, it, it's just, anyway, it was just a bit much. And, like, I saw Chantal McAbey from RDS kind of went out. And then after all the, she was at the, you know, she was reporting at the game, on game five, went out after the, all of the, um, yeah, all the reporting was, oh, you know, all the press conferences were done and they were, you know, expecting to see fans celebrating in Tampa and nobody was outside celebrating. I, I will tell you, though, yeah. My strong sense when I was in Tampa for game two is that everyone kind of expected this was going to happen. Like it wasn't, uh, it was sort of a fait accompli. I think there was a lot of confidence among the fan base there. And it's not a particularly informed fan base. Like there, it's definitely a new to hockey. There's there's some passion there. and um, But it, I don't know. I, I think that's a city that's just used to winning. And sometimes that happens, right? Where... Um, you have multi-sport championship wins and and uh, fan bases just get spoiled a little bit. And maybe that's what's going on in Tampa. Speaking of... Yeah, but speaking of off-seasons, I mean, they're going to have a kind of a complicated off-season too, aren't they? They have people that have to get paid. They've got to be cap compliant in the fall. Yeah, but it's been like that for the last three or four or five years. But I don't know if you heard, I think Alex Killorn and Tyler Johnson are already being placed on the LTIR. So, you know, I don't think they're going to be okay next year. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, they got to recover till, uh, what is it, uh, next May sometime? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're going to be out there. You know, they're going to have their surgery in uh, end of October and they'll be back just in time for the playoffs. So, you know, they might be healthy by, by April, but they're not going to play until they don't need the cap. So. It's, uh, I, I really, yeah, it's, I know I'm with you. It's, 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 it's annoying. It's frustrating, but, uh, you know, it is what it is until they decide to do something about it. Unfortunately, teams are probably going to start doing this more often. Well, and wearing a t-shirt that oh, said yeah. 18 million over. Yeah. So I mean, leaning into it anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I don't, it, it's going to be an interesting off season in Montreal. I, I think, I think the smart thing would be to, to just sort of, Acknowledge that this was a bit of a fluke, and you got your younger players some incredible experience, and that if you actually want to build a team that's going to be able to contend for the two, three, or four years it, it takes to actually bring a cup home, rather than just sort of make it and um, you know not be able to win, that this might be a time to sort of make some changes. But it doesn't. It doesn't. I look. I've been surprised before. Um, like this entire playoff run. But I, I would be somewhat shocked if, if Montreal really decided to take on a new a new, uh, a new new approach. I know. I don't think that's something that's going to happen right now. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I mean, look, it's we can start talking about the juicy fun stuff right now. I mean, look, the Stanley Cup final is over. It's been over for a week now, so we can start looking forward to some of the fun stuff that is off-season, you know, free agency and things like that. There's... 
free agency. There's the Habs have to resign some guys. There's the expansion draft, the actual NHL draft. So here we're going to start with Canadians in house. I think um, so. You know they have a couple of key free agents that they have to sign and make some decisions on. Um, so I'll start with you. How do you see the Habs kind of, or who do you see the Habs looking to resign? Who do you think the Habs let walk in free agency? Well, I, I don't think Thomas Tatar is is any longer uh, a Montreal Canadian. I was shocked that they were playing injured players ahead of him. Yeah, like that really tells me what they think of him in the playoffs. It was it was I was surprised. Yeah, um, I I I would bring back Corey Perry. I I, I don't know about I don't think Stahl is coming back. Um, I think you got to pay Phil Deneau just because of who he is and what yeah. he means to the team. I don't know what you do with Armia. I think he proved himself to be a really effective role player. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know if you can create the conditions that he seems to need to succeed. He's a nice piece, but I just don't know. I don't know how he fits into the sort of the longer term. Like you, you either want him to score a little bit more or be a little more physical. Yeah, I get it. But he's a playoff guy. I mean, he really ro- rises to the occasion in the playoffs. So I guess it all depends on if you think you're going to make the playoffs next year. Yeah, that's a fair question. <clears throat> I'm with you. Uh, well, first off, I think, you know, Merrill and Gustafson are gone. Um, I also think Eric Stahl is gone. Um Excuse me. Um, for me, I think uh, obviously I think if you keep Corey Perry at the right price, you know, you know, I spoke about it. He brought, he still has game left. He's not a, he's, he wasn't just sort of coasting by, uh, you know. So if you can keep him again at a sort of a, a league minimum area, I think that'd be very smart signing. You know, leadership, Stanley Cup experience, things like that. I'm for keeping Armia, but again, always at the right price. I think the danger would be someone might be willing to vastly overpay. And in that case, you have to walk away. One thing I think teams and, and fans even need to sort of do, I mean, it's hard It's it's hard not to sort of fall in love with players and things when you go on a sort of a magical run. And I think, you know, I like Phil Deneau. I think he's a very good player. But he is a high-quality specialist. And by that, I mean he is an exceptional defensive forward. He, you know... Excels in faceoffs. You give him. You saw in the playoffs. You give him these tough assignments. He makes it work. But the problem I think is, he does not generate enough offense to warrant a big contract. And I know it's tough. And I know there are also you know political issues or political reasonings behind it. But it, Phil Deneau is unfortunately not offensively gifted. I don't think he's top twenty goals in his career. I don't think he's top forty points. And that's when. And, you know, I know he's always given a defensive role, but he is also always playing on the Canadiens' top line. You know, he has been routinely given usually the the best wingers to play with. And, you know, it's just, it's it's not his game. He can contribute here and there. I mean, it was nice to see him get a goal in the Stanley Cup final, but it's just, you know, he turned down a five, I think a five or a five and a half million dollar contract in the off seasons. I mean, he can't be expecting to get that kind of money after the, season he had despite how good he was you know in the playoffs it's just for me it's just this thing where we're going to hit this weird I think crossroad with this player in that I think he values himself more than he's worth and I also think that if he goes to the open market he might get the money he's worth and more power to him but you know I just think you know you got to be careful with players like this and you know it's just Look, I like him. I want to keep him if they can. But, you know, I don't think you can offer him $5 million to be the role he is. And it was just one of those things that, you know, kind of Matt frustrated me in the, in the playoffs is they wanted to generate more offense against the Bay Lightning. So they gave Deneau more offensive players. Meanwhile, offense has never been his thing. So I just thought it was a little bit silly that way. But, you know. It yeah, is... not with a flat cap. He's going to yeah. have to take. No, but I just, uh, the, you know, this is a French-Canadian player. In Montreal, on a team on a team that doesn't have a lot of French Canadian players, I I don't. Yeah. He's gonna have to come around on the money, but I I don't think there's a universe in which he is not signed next year. Fair enough. I could be wrong, but I I think. Yeah, no, I'm. Look, I think he's gonna get re-signed. I think. You know, 
I just think it's it's going to be interesting because, as I said, you know, he played so well in the playoffs in the role he was given, and he even did it really well in the bubble playoffs too, but you have to remember the role was shut down. It was a specialist role. He's great at face-offs, that kind of thing. Falling in love and overpaying those kind of guys is can be dangerous. That's all I'm saying. I understand the other side of it. I mean, I think if he doesn't, if he isn't on the team and without Jordan, I think the team has no, you know, they'll have no uh, French Canadians on the team at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with Phil Deneau. And I mean, I guess that also brings up the question of with Jonathan Jordan, what his status with the Canadians is, and what you know what the plans are for him moving forward. I mean, it's just. What, what do you think is going to happen with Drouin? I, I don't know. I've heard rumblings that they might want to see if they can for not force, but they want to, if they want um, Seattle to take him in the expansion draft. I mean, I don't know. He's obviously going through whatever he's going through. I We haven't heard an update on what's happening on any timelines and things like that. Um, so there's, I mean, that's where we are right now. There's no updates by, and... But I think I think his days with the Canadians might be over in in general. Yeah, but it, it's not something that's just like this isn't new, right? Yeah. I mean, he had his meltdown in Tampa. Um, I, I just it's a bad look for my guy. I mean, this is the the uh, you know look. I want him to be healthy. I want him to make the right choices for himself. But eventually, he, it starts to look like a problem, and you know whether they can. I guess protect another player they might otherwise have to lose uh, through the expansion draft by by um, putting Drouin up because, um, yeah, because because his time in Montreal is over. But I guess that just means that the pressure of being a French Canadian in Montreal is too tough. And fair enough. I mean, it's got to be yeah, right. Got to be. Uh, I just it's yeah no I mean. It's it definitely there's a lot of pressure that comes with it, but as you mentioned, this isn't his first sort of issue. And I'm not saying you know good or bad. I mean, I'm sure being an NHL hockey player and having incredible amounts of expectations, you know, placed on your shoulders at a very young age can be very challenging. I mean, in any sport. Um, but yeah, I think we're gonna have to hear an update on his status. I think before the expansion draft, just in case, like we said, if they don't protect him, just to make sure, just so people know where he stands. Um, and I think that's, you know, the most important thing is, well, no, the most important thing is obviously him being healthy and getting where he needs to be. Uh, but I mean, in terms of a team standpoint, and I guess in, in terms of just answering the questions that are out there is just, what's the status? Is there a timeline for his return? You know, what's, you know, is he planning on coming back next year? Anyway, I mean, it's just, it's yeah. going to be an interesting off season just because it is such a short off season this year. You know, I mean, the Stanley Cup final usually ends at the beginning of June. This one ended at the beginning of July. And I think they're wanting to, you know, training camp opens up in September. So that gives the guys, what, six to eight weeks off, and then they're back at it, um, which is, you know, it's a tough ask. I mean, it's a tough ask in a regular season when you win the Stanley Cup. And, I, you know, shaving a month off the offseason, guys are still banged up and guys are still you know, dealing with injuries and things like that, it's going to be, the short off season is going to make for a lot of challenges for the Canadians. So I think they're going to have to find a way to sort of push through it. And, you know, if they consider themselves being, you know, cup contenders, which is fine if that's how you want to see it, you know, they're going to have to find a way to work through the hangover, which I think, you know, can lead, might lead to a pretty slow start. Just considering they're going to have a couple of guys that are banged up. You know, we heard about, you know, Gallagher, we heard about, uh, Toffoli, Weber, Petrie, all these guys that are hurt. I mean, the question is, are any of these guys going to be fully healthy at the start of the season if they, you know, they don't have they have less time to heal up from all their injuries? So you know, this this weird shortened off season is going to play is going to make for a crazy. I know it's been a short. It's it it's going to be a very short off season, which kind of means all of this stuff is going to be happening. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be no sort of time to breathe. We're just sort of uh, backing right into and getting ready for September. So it's going to be interesting to see that the moves that they make. I think it just ultimately comes down to how Montreal sees their future and whether they are looking as at this as the natural step along a pre-planned progression or whether they see it as 
sort of lightning in a bottle and um, something that was incredible and amazing, but something that may not be repeatable in the in the near short term future. So I I see it one way. My suspicion <laughs> is the organization seems is a different way, but it'll be interesting to see. I think we'll know fairly soon here. Um, yeah, I had a free agency. What what the what the plan is going to be? Have you had a look at the free agent sort of like who who's up and who might be a fit? Do we have any puck moving defenders that are that might be affordable? Well, affordable is the question. I think you know, Dougie Hamilton is sort of the star of this uh, free agency period. Uh, so he's going to be going getting a lot of attention. He's definitely a guy that the Habs can use and need. What may what's he make though? Seven eight. No. I mean that's a yeah he's probably gonna make that I mean his current deal contract is uh I think yeah seven five seven five or five point five seven five something like that he's due for a big raise I mean he had he's had he's put up consistently good numbers for a defenseman you know he's he's gonna get paid I mean there's obviously some big names out there that are gonna be fun I mean Alex Ovechkin is another big one for Habs fans you know there's always been this sort of weird thing where everyone thinks because Ovechkin said he would love to play for the Habs so all Habs fans want him to already have him slotted in um I mean if we're looking strictly at defense you know I think we agree that the Canadians need a puck moving defenseman is probably the biggest need as you mentioned Dougie Hamilton there's also you know there's also uh, a guy like Tyson Berry although he's a bit of a you know a liability in the defensive zone so it's a little tricky that way but you know he's I'm just looking at some of the names here um, you know, I mean, there's definitely forwards that you can add scoring punch to the lineup. You know, Gabriel Landeskog is an interesting name. Um, you just traded away Victor Mete. You're not going to trade. <laughs> I know, but you just don't get the names on the list. They want to get bigger. I mean, you're, I you're there's Taylor Hall yeah, is an interesting yeah. name. I mean, uh, you know, he. We'll see what happens with him. Um, yeah, Kyle Palmieri, Jaden Schwartz. Uh, you know, I mean, David Krejci. If you want to get crazy. So it'll it's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of options. I mean, look, it was nice to see the Canadians kind of go all to, to make some moves last year. Um, you know, there's players to be had. Hopefully, you know, maybe this run has can entice some people to actually want to sign here, um, which has not always been the easiest thing in the past. You know why Ottawa is going to be a lot better next year? Oh, right? why? Yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah, Pierre. <laughs> Director of Player That'll Development, uh, anti analytic. Yeah. He's gonna know all of them, like what their dogs' <laughs> names are, what high school they went to, what their favorite uh, teacher was in grade school. He's gonna get it all down. It's it's just weird to think about. I mean, in one way, I'm happy for him because obviously NBC losing the rights means that um, his sort of position that he had carved out for himself doesn't really exist anymore. And I know that he was up for the job in Montreal and has wanted to get back onto the hockey side of it. So it's going to be interesting. I just don't know how well yeah. the sort his sort of like galaxy brain takes are going to be sort of where the rubber meets the road on the ice. I just it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And obviously, you know, Ottawa's and and the GM there and you know the the history of challenges, it's going to be strange to try and work out what that means but um if nothing else you won't have to listen to him at five o'clock on no no i won't <clears throat> and i'm pretty happy about that i think a lot of people are happy about that i haven't listened to him in a while anyway but yeah no more pierre Maguire <clears throat> moments it's it's a good day for me i think it's a good day for a lot of hockey fans that they're not gonna have to hear him anymore <laughs> but um you know, look, I'm happy for him as a man. You know, it sucks losing your job. And NBC losing the rights meant he was out of a job. But I'm happy for me because I don't have to hear him anymore on TV <clears throat> or on the radio. And, you know, it's just interesting because before he became the Pierre Maguire he is now, the caricature he was, he has become, he was a really insightful guy when he came to radio in, I think, in 1997 in Montreal. You know, I used to listen to him call games on the radio and it was really insightful stuff. And, you know, now he's kind of transitioned into, you know, respecting, you know, everyone in the league. Everyone has so much respect for everyone in the league, you know, which then kind of undermines kind of what respect is all about. Um, you know, and then talking about how much he knows about people. 
<laughs> and talking about how he knows, you know, all the stuff he knows and people he knows what everyone likes to have for supper and breakfast the day of a game or, you know, all the little things. Yeah. He's a Virgo, likes long watches on the Exactly, beach. and all these little details that, you know, I guess are important but no one really cares about, but he likes to show off and, you know, obviously he won't be shy to tell you that, you know, all the knowledge, hopefully, I mean, look, hopefully for Ottawa it works out. I mean, as a Habs yeah. fan, maybe not, you know, but I'm sure all the wealth of knowledge you got from coaching with Scotty is, you know, you know, always like to let you know that, that, um, <laughs> you know, that it helps the Senators, but whatever. Like I said, I'm happy he got off to hear him anymore, and I'm, you know, I guess I'm happy for him as a person that, you know, you know, he has a job and stuff. So, um, I, transitioning away from the Senators and Pierre Maguire, I mean, Another interesting sort of uh, name out there we kind of touched on. Oh, um, yeah. Taylor Hall. You know, he, he's obviously not going to get the money he wanted, but, you know, he's shown that he can play. I mean, look, there's a bunch of interesting names on this list. I mean, if you go down, if you're going to stick with the defenseman, there's Jamie Alexiak, who's a bit of a bigger body but can move the puck. Um, you know, Brandon Montour, who's a bit like Tyson Berry but might not cost you as much, and... All signs said he looked good in Florida, but, you know, then if you want to add some score, there is Taylor Hall. I mean, I, I'm kind of doubling back here, but Taylor Hall is an interesting, I think, option. And it's just interesting to see what, what's going to happen with him. I, don't, I mean, what do you think a Taylor Hall gets right now? He was so valuable at one point and just really, I don't really know who he is anymore in terms of what he brings. Like, is he a 20-goal guy? He's certainly not a 30-goal guy anymore. No, he's not. Um, I don't know. It's just tough because, you know, everything kind of went wrong in Buffalo this year, right? I mean, Jack Eichel had a terrible year. I think everyone in Buffalo had a terrible year, unless you're uh, Sam Reinhart. But I don't know. I mean, we look, you've seen him. He's been an MVP. He's put up 90-something, 90-some-odd points. I mean, he's got talent. And he looked pretty good with Boston, although, you know, I think when the Bruins were going down... In in the second round, right, right uh, to the Islanders, you know the the fans started getting on him, wanting a bit more, wanting a bit more production. So I mean, we'll see. He definitely can't get the money he was after. I mean, his little gamble going to play in Buffalo, playing with Jack Eichel to sort of then cash in certainly backfired. And you know, we'll see what happens. But I don't think he's going to get the eight million dollars again. I mean, if he does, it's going to have to be. Short term, and you know that's that's you know that's it. But you know, I, I mean, like, I, and I don't think Taylor Hall is a realistic um, option for the Habs anyway, in terms of what he wants and in terms of the space they have. I'm just looking at some names here again. You know, another name that's interesting. He's a bit older, but Alec Martinez. You know, he's with the Golden Knights last year. He played most of his career with the Kings. You know, he's a two-way defenseman. He 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 can definitely is solid in his own end, but he is also very he's a pretty good trend puck mover. He can, you know, he's he's good in the offensive zone as well. So he's a name I think could be interesting. Um, you know, we can try the Mike Riley experience again. You know, he played really well with Ottawa and Boston, but you know, I don't know, I think it feels like a long shot considering, you know, the Habs have already done the Mike Riley thing. Um Looking at more, I mentioned Jamie Alexiak and Brandon Montour. Yeah, I agree. Um, so you know those, there are some interesting options. I mean Ryan Murray, but he's more of a stay-at-home guy. It just the Canadians are going to have to do something because you know with Carey Price and Shea Weber kind of nearing the end of the line here, they have to make a move sooner than later. Well, that's a good point, Connor. I hadn't really thought of it that way because if you, I mean, if you say look. Price and Weber are part of this team until they can no longer move. Um, it really means that the Canadians have to go all in for next year. And in some ways, we kind of said they were going all in last year. Um, they picked up a lot of players. They got a backup goaltender. They strengthened their defense, although not in the way we wanted. They got some goal scoring. Um, you know, their leading goal scorer, the two top two leading goal scorers on the team didn't play for them last year. So... It, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting to think about they might need to sort of splurge a little bit and build up this team again. But I, I 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you, you strike while the iron's hot and uh, you hope that whatever magic you were able to capture this year can can be extended to next year. The thing that, that's weird after really getting into this, these playoffs is that it's so hard to imagine an 82-game regular season. Like, it's so hard to imagine getting up for a random Tuesday night game. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, a couple months without hockey sort of reinvigorates and, and gets you back excited for that. Um, I don't know. I, I really... I wish they would consider having a shortened regular season um, and some sort of longer playoff thing so you had more games with more significance because it really changes the sort of the the texture and the, and the nature of the game. Um, and I don't, I'm not talking about like a champion league kind of thing where you have like aggregate goals or something like that, but like so, some some way to amp up the meaning of it um, a little bit sooner and sort of get away from the, you know, the the Sunday matinees where you have a half-filled arena and everyone's sort of just going through the motions. Yeah, I think the condensed schedule <clears throat> made for a bit more intense hockey just because they were playing less games, games felt more important. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, obviously, you know, the reality is I don't think owners in the league will go for that kind of thing. You know, I think they're they're trying to make more money, and I think less games means less money, or, or it means ticket prices are going to go way up, um, which is you know, you know, ticket prices are already kind of pricing regular families out of the market right now, so it would be even more exclusive. I like the idea, though. I mean, it's fun. I, I've always been, you know, I always kind of liked. I think it's the NFL kind of has it just right here where they have now 17, but 16 games where every game feels like it matters. Insane. Um, so it's 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 interesting. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, you feel like you have to watch every game, whereas I understand, you know, in the NHL, you know, or even much like kind of like baseball and even basketball, right? There's games are going to, you know, games where there's teams aren't sort of feeling, both teams aren't feeling, it's just sort of an ugly kind of sloppy game that's just going to be there, but because you're playing 82 games, you know, these nights are going to happen, and it's just unavoidable. But I like your thought process. I like the idea of having less games, making games more intense, more meaningful. You know, you know, you don't want to say no game, games don't matter, because, you know, at the end, you know, missing out on the playoffs by two points means, you know, that one game in, you know, middle of February, you kind of just decided to not play well will have an impact. But I just, you know, I like the idea. I just do not think the owners go for it, you know, and I, and I mean, even trying to think of how you would cut the schedule, I mean, you could obviously find ways to do it, but, you know, like, I, in baseball, like I like baseball, and I always kind of hated the, um, I always hated the novelty of interleague play, but, you know, I liked that you didn't see the other conference until the finals, but I don't think that's a thing that's going to happen, and I don't think, Again, the owners aren't going to go for it. Gary Bettman's not going to go for it. It's too much lost revenue. Well, not in the short term. They just signed a new contract with ESPN. So yeah. that all has to be based on X number of games. And obviously the owners make a lot of money with the current setup. But I just think it's uh, it's just a lot to ask. <laughs> it's just a lot to ask all the way around. Yeah. I mean, look, it's tough to ask to get up. I mean, it's a fan. I kind of get up for every game, but I know what you're saying. Uh, who knows, though, if the team is exciting, it'll be easier. I mean, we're also living in the specter of having to watch bad hockey the last couple of years. So, Another thing is the shortened offseason, the, the condensed schedule, and how it's going to affect the Habs going into next year. Because, as we spoke about, as I touched on, there's a lot of guys dealing with injuries that you know we have to hope are, are ready, but they might not be ready for the start of next year. Yeah, I mean, Petrie, Weber, Toffoli. I mean, we're not going to see... Gallagher. At least some of these guys for the big Gallagher. Oh man, poor guy. Hey Connor, but you know what? It's been really fun to uh, get to uh, go on this this run with you and uh, uh, watch the games and exchange some tweets and talk about what we see and what we don't. And uh, you know, obviously, uh, getting you the Canadians in the final for your birthday <laughs> wasn't is not the kind of gift you can give every year. No. 
but uh, I know you enjoy 100%. it. One hundred percent. I mean, birthday at the end of the June makes it kind of impossible, but uh, <laughs> you know, they, they got they well, they they won in the the, the Saint Jean Baptiste holiday it was a huge moment, and it's never going to happen again. I mean, hockey's never going to be played this late into the summer again, and you know. Speaking of which, speaking of summer, since it is the summertime, look, I think we're probably going to come back for one more pod just before, around the draft, around free agency, to sort of assess what's going on there, what the Canadians have done or are doing. Um, and then we're going to be off till uh, the season starts. I know that the news never ends with the Canadians, but as a, a couple of fathers, we like to spend as much time with our families and enjoy the sun as everyone else, so... You know, we're going to do that. So look for one more podcast from us dealing with the, you know, it'll touch on the expansion expansion draft. It'll touch on the regular NHL draft. It'll touch on the um, free agency and stuff like that. So, and any trades, obviously, any other news. Um, uh, but, yeah, look, you know, it was a great, we had a great time on this run. I, I think I speak for all Habs fans. Everyone enjoyed the wave, enjoyed the ride, rode the wave. Um you know, it was it was fun to get excited about the Canadians, and I, you know, you got to be thankful that the Canadians gave us these moments in this sort of. It's been a rough, you know, eighteen months to two years with the whole coronavirus, you know, being stuck inside, and now we have this, we have this run that we can always look back on. Remember, you know, in the crazy times of COVID, the Montreal Canadiens went on an unlikely run to a Stanley Cup final, even though they didn't win it. They brought a lot of joy to a lot of people, and you know we can't say enough. It was just fun watching the watching it all unravel, watching them play this amazing way. And with that, I am Connor Lapom signing off for the last round Habs podcast in our seemingly penultimate episode for this season. So have a great and safe summer, everyone. We'll look forward to talking to you after the, in free agency. Amen. Well said. Talk to you soon. Bye, Connor. This has been the Last Word on Habs podcast, brought to you by the Last Word on Sports Network. Join us next week. Until then, see you on the ice.